You're listening to the Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Zohara Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. Enjoy. Welcome to 21st Century Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Zohara Hieronymus. And joining us this portion of 21st Century Radio is Dr. Nick Begich. Nick has joined us many times over the years and is always on the cutting edge of technology, health, and the environment, as well as the dangerous development that technology can be part of. From weather engineering to mind control, Nick's focus is always on how to make human life better and how to use our sciences for the advancement of a free people rather than a controlled populace. And we have lots to talk about, and you can follow up after our program at his website at www.earthpulse.com. Dot com. That's www.earthpulse.com. Welcome back to 21st Century Radio, Dr. Baggage. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's been a long time. It and, has uh, been a while. It's always good to be with you, and I, I hope um, Bob is doing all right. He's doing, doing well. fine. Great. Well, great. you know, well, it's, great. It's, it's fun. I mean, it brings back really fond memories. Oh, we spent countless hours on the air together over the decades. Right. So I'd like to look at first a general um, overview of your work, Nick, because not everybody has heard every show we've ever done, though I wish they had. Explain for us how you got involved in, in Earth Pulse Press and why you created this publishing house. Well, you know, we were, um, my wife Sheila and I were uh, doing a, a good amount of research in a number of projects, and one in particular was um, HARP, uh, a high-frequency active rural research project here in Alaska. And at that time, um, actually, it was a mutual friend of ours, Gail Flanagan, that uh, had right. encouraged me um, to actually start writing. And, and you know, and I thought about writing. You know, that was you know, that's like a lot of years ago now, 15, yeah. 16 years ago. But I figured I'd be doing that more about now. You know, and I started getting a little bit more gray hair and felt like I was maybe uh, more qualified and had something uh, maybe worthwhile to say. But nonetheless, I I took her um, encouragement and wrote an article initially. Um, on that project, and it was immediately published in Nexus magazine. And then um, I was contacted by Gene Manning, who became my co-author on the book Angels Don't Play This Harp. Which we covered many times over the years. Right. Angels Don't Play This Harp. And, and And we'll come back to that in a moment. So you began, firstly, discovering your own talent as a writer, able to express really important points of view. And if people go to your website at earthpulse.com, they'll see articles in sciences, in health and environment, um, other materials about the environment, which we'll look at, mind control, right. and technologies in general. How did you um, sort of determine that empowerment was important, that mind control was important, that these particular divisions of the way of sort of classifying your information were the ones that made the most sense? Well, you know, I, I looked at uh, technology just in general, and, and there's very little um, in terms of generalists, uh, first of all, in, in science and technology. Everyone specializes within even specialties to the point where you don't get the kind of stand back and look at things from this broader scientific perspective. And and I've always, um, I'm largely self-educated, I, I've read thousands and thousands of, of technical books across the sciences, and I know a lot of people, actually, I, I know people probably in every major branch of science, and it's given me the opportunity to learn a lot. And the, the role of translating uh, complex science into plain language sort of became 
the niche that we felt um, that we could really do something in, where you take these complicated issues, break them down into plain English, and then produce them in a way, and, and we use uh, printed uh, material, book form, to get the issue out. And we, all of our stuff has always been heavily footnoted so that the non-scientists can actually read the material and understand it, and those that are interested in the follow-up, the engineering or the science behind it, can you know, look at those footnotes and then go back to those original sources and sort of delve deeper into each of the subtopics. And that kind of became our, our hallmark. And part of that um, idea was at the same time that we're sort of identifying the various technologies that are out there and, and sort of the two-edged sword of some of those technologies in terms of being useful for improving the human condition and, and contrarily perhaps being, uh, being used to, to do the opposite, uh, damage the environment or uh, the quality of human life on the planet. And, and I think approaching science, uh, not just from that perspective, but then from the political perspective of recognizing that within this democratic republic and other democracies, that it's important uh, to understand technology. Because if you look around the world, the strongest countries in the world, no matter what they uh, are in terms of political structure, the strongest countries are the ones with the command and control of the highest and best technologies. So within our structure of government, it seems to me that fundamentally now, as, as, as easy as it was 100 years ago for everyone to talk about agriculture and make sense, uh, we need to be able to talk at least conceptually about our science and technology and the ramifications of it. Even if we don't individually know as humans how to build this stuff or how to engineer it, we ought to be able to talk about it just like talking about our automobiles, even though most of us today can't repair them. Uh, we, we, we need to do that. And, and that's what will make um, our technologies at least more responsive to us as human beings and, and less um, of what I see as a more directed and sort of controlled society that seems to be emerging. And we've talked about that for decades on our program, right. you know, the, the loss of human autonomy through technology. And I want to come to that, but, but first I, I'd like to touch on something that your work does, which is the way perhaps other nations um, are addressing parapsychology research, how they're addressing things like advanced neural implants. I mean, give right. us a big picture, and then we'll look at some of the particulars that you have posted at the moment at earthpulse.com. Sure. You know, when, when I look at um, that whole area of, of study in terms of human potential, and this is the thing that I think the, the, the biggest discovery of all, you know, when you start to look at all of the different technologies that are out there, and, and some of the best work we've done is on the mind effects or mind control technologies, you know, how to alter your state of consciousness or awareness, or even more specifically, even um, alter on the specific level uh, thoughts or emotions. And, you know, that whole line of research and sort of what that you know, shows us is that, you know, we're now at a stage where even on the, on the governmental level, DARPA just let two contracts last year to the University of California on, on electronic telepathy. One contract to sort of look at a bunch of different brains while they're having real-time, real thoughts and see if you can get some general sort of mapping done that says, hey, when this energy pattern emerges, this specific thought is happening, and then take that information and create complex signals that then you can superimpose on another human being to see if they have exactly the same thoughts. And so that work is being done, and some of that you know, goes back, reaches back several decades. And, of course, that opens up implications for all kinds of things when we, when we 
you know, mass mind control and generating hysteria, the downside. Right. And I think that's one of the things that I've always so appreciated about your perspective and your effort, which is the technology is not bad. It's what we do with it. Yeah, and, and this is a, a case in point is because when you think about the idea of um, transparency and, and human consciousness and what all of that entails and, and, and then the sort of the issues that, that – that overlap all that, which is personal privacy and free will choices, and you know, so these kinds of things that start to and true deal sovereignty with of mind, not just body. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of, for instance, we we've spoken a little bit about this DARPA contracts with advanced neural implants and control, but in the same category of your article listings, there's the Warsaw Pact, the Paraphysics R and D Warsaw Pact, right. Defense Intelligence Agency, and I just think. You know, these stories never make it to the American press that I can find, not in any general way, maybe in certain trade journals. How, firstly, do you find out about it? And then when you do, for instance, tell our audience what this is about. Well, you know, going back, uh, the idea that in the course of discovering the mind effects, um, you know, people always focus on these, on the the typical worry is a Manchurian kind of candidate, you know, that kind of a mind control experiment or forcing mass riots and so on. But the real, the real thing, the thing they found that the most important of all was the, um, this, this human element, this anomalous human capability, uh, what we used to call ex- extrasensory perceptions, uh, and now the military throws under the uh, general category of anomalous human potential, which is kind of interesting. That's peculiar. I guess ESP carries too much old baggage or something. You know, so they've got a different, uh, different name for the same game. And, well, Anomalous, even though it's thoroughly integrated into who we are as human beings. Right, right. It is who we are. In fact, that was their big discovery was when, when they realized what the potential was of a human being, you know, the overall potential to have these kinds of capabilities. That, well, and, I, and before I, you go too far, I mean, we've, we've been joined by Ingo Swan and others who have worked in remote viewing right. out of the military for decades, and that goes right. back to the mid-60s. And so when they understood, as I love the way Ingo calls it, bio-mind superpowers, I mean, these, these are the gifts God has given us, and these all are the talents we all have the ability to develop. Right. Now, now here's the big uh, trick, too. You know, you want to stifle that development, make sure it doesn't happen, which is really what... I think um, more of, of, of what all, all of this is about than we, we care to think. Because yeah. the simplest way to do that is you just create an underlying, overarching sort of sense of worry and dis-ease and discomfort and fear, particularly. Which, which the media generates every day of the week. Every fear is day. in their That's their business, generate fear. Right, and you think about it, it, whether it's an advertisement trying to tell you how bad you smell, how bad your breath is, your underarms, mm-hmm. whatever, they're, or the political ads, or the straight 6 o'clock news, or virtually everything that starts to frame our lives. Or the war of snow, food. you know, it can be as bad as we have to go to war with our bulldozers. Again. You know, it's like, what about ever stopping when it snows? Right. <laughs> anyway, but into the more important arenas, as you're pointing out, these are these are really serious sort of defamations, I think, of, the human spirit. Right, and, and, and it's more than that. On a fundamental level, if you look at an EEG, uh, the brain activity of human being, experience fear, anxiety, and worry, you're going to see incoherent brain patterns, the kinds associated with flight or right, fight responses, these kinds of things. If you see people that are engaged in the emotions of love, empathy, um, these kinds of things, you're going to see very coherent rhythmic patterns that correlate with very rhythmic and steady breathing that correlates with lower, slower brainwave 
creative activity that is exactly associated with creative thought and the um, anomalous capabilities humans sometimes demonstrate. And this is getting into the lower alpha and theta ranges um, while you're consciously aware. But when you're surrounded, just simply surrounded by the power grid at 60 hertz, it knocks that off balance. When you look at stress levels as they come at you, it knocks it off balance. The chemicals that we ingest, now half the population over 50s, you know, eating two or three different things by some pharmacist every uh, day. Uh, but when you start to look at all of that and the impact um, on us in terms of our ability to reach higher states of consciousness, we can't even get there. I mean, it's, it's, it's that um, pervasive that the vast majority of the population doesn't even have the opportunity to get there because you have to have those things uh, better in balance so that they platform is available for us to reach higher states of consciousness. Now, you can do things that can drive you there, that can help you get there, that can train you to get there. And those are some of the, the tools and things that we've gotten involved in over the years. But ultimately, it's about us um, uh, being able to get there, not having to use those um, uh, tools and instruments, but use the instruments that we've been given. Well, and and birth, certainly the schools of meditation have taught us as a society that it's a very real thing. When people right. pray in a community, the crime comes down. Right. And Even the weather patterns can be changed based in the human mind field, so to speak. Right, right. In fact, uh, the physics of it, I mean, it's basically, you know, this idea that the observer affects whether something is either a particle or a wave. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's the basic physics. The observer is participating in this uh, creation of reality that we perceive as physical, the physical world on maybe even a more fundamental level than we think. The point being, all of these discoveries about sort of the anomalous or the super capability that every one of us has, <clears throat> to me, that's the ultimate um, uh, domain for humans to play in. And, and what's happened... Uh, when, whenever uh, anyone has come along and demonstrated some of that, you know, we tend to uh, shoot them or crucify them. Right, <laughs> right. We take them out, we get them out of here, you know, because people are worried about it. Yeah. And, and, and it's because, think about it, if we had a uh, fully actualized humans capable of these things, uh, how does a government hide if you know what they think? How would most people ever arrive in any political position? Most of them, you'd see right through them before they even run for an office. Yeah, and, but here's the other flip side of that, you know, and, and, and I know a guy um, I had met in, in, in my early early life here that was a very, very gifted uh, psychic, and he wasn't always. It, it, it came on him after a trauma, he had this experience, and then after that he had this ability, and it was pretty remarkable. In fact, what the most remarkable thing I'd ever seen, and it was a curse. And the reason it was a curse is because you know how people are, how people are, you know, you have a conversation with someone and you're polite to them and you really can't stand the individual. Well, how, do, how would you like to be able to read those every time? You know, and so it requires a, um, a forgiving uh, society and a transparent society would be a very different kind of place to live. I mean, Judgment Day, from my perspective, is the day the walls come down and we all see each other for who we are. Right, and, and we, and we all experience, you know, concomitant compassion, which is... I guess yes. one of the reasons the Dalai Lama has had such a um, love fest, if you will, with so many Westerners who are tired of the notion of force. Yeah, 
And, and obviously, as, as you speak, and I think anybody in our listening audience will know from their own experience the difference of acting out of fear and, the act, and, the, and acting out of compassion. Well, look, we're going to take a little break, and then we'll come back to some of the other arenas in which you've written, because this kind of thought is pervasive in, in every field of activity, not just science, but also the arts and technologies and health and healing. And um, so we'll come back to some of the other areas that you're working on. I want to be sure tonight that we talk a little bit about the weather changes and how much does human activity exacerbate, what is already a natural cycle, and what we can do about finding out what's true versus what gets promoted for somebody's benefit. We'll be right back. Our guest is Dr. Nick Vagich. You can learn more at www.earthpulse.com. If you can't write this down, remember 21stcenturyradio.com. This is James DeMeo of the Orgone Biophysical Research Laboratory. You can find my books at Amazon and other kinds of websites. The last name is D-E-M-E-O. And you're listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Zohara Hieronymus. And thank you. Thank you. Let's get right back to our guest. You can learn more about it, www.earthpulse.com earthpulse.com. Dr. Begich's website not only shows you products you can buy for your own benefit and your health, but also wonderful books like Secrets of the Soil and much more. So I want to come back before we leave this whole issue of the Department of Defense and Science and Technologies. You have a particular article about that, the new Department of Defense capabilities. Can you give us a brief overview of that? Well, you know, a lot of what's um, what has happened is you know, people think that this this research has gone away, and we actually have the uh, Department of the Navy's protocols from 2006 for mind control experiments, and who who approves those at the uh, undersecretary level. And when you look at um, you know sort of the advances in, in this area today, a, a great deal is being done. In fact, um, Dr. Eastland, Ben Eastland, who was the inventor of HARP, was had become a pretty good friend, and we had had him participate in a um, closed conference on mind effects, and he had actually talked to, at the time it was Tony Tether, who was the head of DARPA, um, about the whole mind control topic. And when I invited Ben to that conference, he said, you know, Nick, if you'd asked me a year ago on a scale of 1 to 10, this would have been down there around a 1 in terms of importance, you know, not very important to him. He said, however, he goes, I I was talking to uh, DARPA, and Tony Tether in particular that he had mentioned, and he said, and you know, nobody's laughing anymore on the mind control topics. In fact, there's a lot of work going on in the area. And he goes, yeah, now it's a 9 or a 10, and I will participate. And he did. He participated in that conference along with a number of others uh, that we had invited uh, from, from around the world. It was one of the last um, major projects I was involved in when I was still working as executive director of the Lay Institute. And when we brought people on the table on this subject, it's not a question of, you know, is the technology out there? Um, it's really only a question of how is it being used and deployed and, and, and how easy is it now uh, to deliver on uh, the technology. And, 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 and that is the big change because there's so many different ways. Any electromagnetic system, whether it's radio broadcast, TV, Internet, telephone networks, cell phone networks, um, all of these things, even the power grid itself, can be used to modulate a signal that will influence the behavior of anyone in close proximity to those signals. Uh, that's pretty profound in terms of changes in technology. When you think about that as sort of the ultimate information technology, you know, in terms of uh, 
um, information warfare or uh, information transfer. I mean, can you imagine, and this is one of the predictions for this century, is we'll go from the electronic Internet to the organic Internet. What does now, that, that mean? That bothers me. And, and what do you mean by that so that somebody in the audience won't call me and say, well, Nick said it. What, well, what do it, you mean? it essentially is this idea that instead of being linked by computers, we'll be biologically linked in a way that will allow that electronic telepathy kind of model that the military is looking for for certain applications. But imagine that as, as a standard means of communication being artificially supported is, is, you mean through some form of neural mean. implant? I remember having a big argument one year with Dr. Dean Radin, who was yep. all excited about you know downloading our brains and having computers chips put there. in our head, and 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 I was just telling him I don't want it. No, thank you. No. I I would like to arrive at a you know at a godly created woman who on her own can reach those levels of of sublime ecstasy and all knowing. I don't want somebody controlling nor knowing everything that's in my nature. Exactly, and it's and it's the other part of it. I mean, it's who who do you want to handle the programming? You right, your own consciousness, consciousness, or someone else's. You know, and that's really what it's about. In fact, if you look, you know, if you start to can view you, the before, world... Before, before, can you give, you know, one of the things I'm always stunned by, you know, because you spend your time in all of this, and I did for much of my life as well, we have access to information the average listener has never heard and will right. never see, and it's not going to be in the media, and it won't be on the late news, and it won't be on the early news, and it won't be in the newspaper, and it won't be in their favorite magazine, and it won't be in a reality show or an unreality show, and they're not going to find it on satellite, cable TV. So I don't think our audience understands in general, I don't think Americans is what I'm trying to say, understand in general the degree to which other nations are perfecting this work, whether it's the Chinese, the Russians, or others. Right. Well, and, that's, and that is the big deal, because it is um, perfected not just in the United States, but around the world. Uh, the Chinese have made major steps in that direction. In fact, we had some documents that were military uh, training manuals and journals that were um, translated by one of the divisions of the Central Intelligence Agency. And they, they do this in, I think, a hundred and some countries, all their kind of periodicals and military training things that they can get their hands on. They translate them, and some of those and a lot of those get declassified and released to the public. And in this case, it was a sort of an uh, expose on what China was doing. <laughs> it was everything we were doing, you know, that we had already shown in our own uh, document trail. But the interesting part of it all is, um, and, and I think this is what gets really down to it. There's an article called The Mind Has No Firewalls, and it was produced by the U.S. Army War College. And it was sort of a, re, a re, uh, rendition, uh, another rendition of a Russian military journal orienteers article on that subject. And it basically says, just what I just said a few moments ago, any of these electromagnetic carriers can be used to carry a signal that will influence behavior of people directly in contact with that signal or in the close proximity of so, it. So, in other words, you can ride a signal, let's say, on the cellular phone signals that are being put out that everybody's carrying around, and when they pick up the phone to talk to somebody, they may not know that what they're being influenced by is some background right. signal that changes their feelings, their mood, their attention span, or their emotions, so that they can be driven to rage, to murder, right. to all kinds right. of just incomprehensible, Fighting um, in the street. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Who knows what's really going on in Cairo behind this or anywhere else? We don't know how much there's some form of manipulation of the brainwave that can drive these riots into a furor that goes beyond all sort of understanding. 
or or the other way around. In fact, after the first Gulf War, there, we had speculated that that's what they did in order to create the fear and anxiety that caused, at that time, the fourth largest army in the world to just collapse like children on their first Yeah, I remember run. covering right some Right after that. the Gulf War and after we published our speculation uh, on that, it was back um, in the book Earth Rise and the Revolution. And afterwards, they had, they had uh, Scottish media reported that what we had done is on um, a project called Project Solo, we had used a plane where we had broadcast into the signals that they were using to broadcast the normal Muslim music and prayers going into the region. What we did is we piggybacked a signal on their own broadcast that created this sense of anxiety and foreboding and fear to the point where these guys were given up in mass to like one guy with a, you know, with a gun. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the reason was is it just overrode their general sense, and, and they got, again, uh, when we were talking earlier about this idea that if you keep people in this constant state of fear, you know, you can't think clearly, but imagine jamming it up to where it's just absolute fear at the highest level. Well, and, uh, and, and I think on a very get. simple that's level, everybody in the audience has experienced music that gives them a headache and makes them sick to their stomach, Same and music that and makes them no. feel peaceful, because we're just really what we're talking about is electromagnetic or vibrational wavelengths that interact with our own brain chemistry and physiology. That's exactly it, and it is that simple. It's as simple as the analogy of tuning a radio. You know, when you tune a radio and you get um, resonance or harmony mm-hmm. between the transmitter and the receiver is when everyone hears our voice nice and clear. Um, and, and that resonance effect is the same thing that happens as energy exchanges uh, between human beings and, and, uh, and the external world. And so the energy exchanges can affect us on the gross body. You know, wavelengths the size of our body can have an effect on us. And then you can look at each body organ, and they have a corresponding wavelength. You can look at each cell and it has a corresponding wavelength or each molecule or each element that feeds a molecule. They all have an associated wavelength that creates an effect, a stimulating effect, um, a resonance effect. Uh, and so when you, when you think about that in terms of body and mind, in terms of health, uh, a whole lot of things, this is sort of the key to some of the new technologies for weapons development. Because once you understand those mechanisms, disrupting them and controlling them becomes sort of the, the objective. On that side, on the other side, the, the things that pharmaceuticals have done historically to try and rebalance the body can be literally tuned in. And that's the rediscovery of um, the whole energy medicine line uh, as it applies to the same knowledge. And then if you lay that on top of what we also know about cons- consciousness and these altered states of consciousness or higher states of consciousness and triggering those or recreating those events, you know, a guy who meditates for 20 years and learns how to turn that on at will. 20 years, and every once in a while they get that aha moment with mm-hmm. it there, and then they become more frequent and more frequent until finally they recognize them well enough to go, I can go there whenever I want. It takes you know, 20 years. Well, with the new tools, you can learn to do the same thing in 30, 45 days. You know, brain biofeedback techniques now get you to the aha moments where you start to recognize them because you have a feedback mechanism. You know, you might be looking at... Uh, you might be listening to a tone in the ear that goes up or down depending on what your brain state is. So as you uh, meditate and you hit that zone, that's just the zone you're, you're looking for, you get the right tone in the ear so you know you're there. So these kinds of feedback tools allow us to do what the meditator spends 20 years doing uh, in 30 to 45 days. And it's kind of self-directed, learning how to sort of work the, work the muscle of the mind, if you will, 
uh, by analogy, being able to get things going again, being able to activate that which has been idle for too long. Uh, the tools, I think, are interesting for those purposes. But when you have sort of the reverse of that going on, well, somebody's discovering, okay, here's the mechanism for memory, so I'm going to deliver something new for you. And a good example is uh, there's an, a publication called Technology Horizons produced by the uh, U.S. Air Force Research Lab, and they did a the Electromagnetic Directorate did an article in June 2004, and it was their cover story called Controlled Effects. And it dealt with three aspects. One, attacking, you know, with new electromagnetic weapon systems, hardware, you know, like um, machinery. Second one was to attack the software, the, the things that made that machinery do what it was supposed to do, which took a little less energy. And then the third, which was kind of the ultimate controlled effects, was attacking the human operator. And they believe that, and this is a direction that shows up in the DARPA documents, is this idea of being able to model the human brain sufficiently to override any of the five emotions, or all five emo uh, uh, senses, rather, uh, sight, touch, taste, smell, and so on. And to the point Which where I have to say, from a Kabbalistic point of view, are the vessels of the soul. Those are the vehicles that the soul actually ex uses the body in order to express its presence, the eyes, right. the ears, the nose, and the mouth. Right. And, and, and again, when you're, when you're talking about, in, in the case of, of government in this application, they want to be able to cre create complete uh, memory sets that you cannot distinguish from your own. Now that's frightening. I mean, truthfully, when you start to realize how refined this kind of control and manipulation is getting because of the advancement in technology, right. you, you sometimes wish for the simple agrarian time, which we may get with the kind of earth changes coming. So right. we're going to take a little break, and when we come back, let's talk about that because you right. have spent so much of your life looking at weather patterns, at right. what's natural, what's exacerbated, you know, what are the kinds of things that affect the tilt of the axis for our planet, what solar flares are like, what coronal mass ejections are. I mean, I was talking to a shelter guy, by the way, recently, and 20 years ago, Dr. Bob and I were already talking about electromagnetic pulse, coronal mass ejections, things that will shut down our grid, and everybody thought it was silly. Well, now the military and the government, that's all they're really concerned about is coronal mass ejections and these terrible um, storms from solar flares that will fry everything that's not like pre-1975 without a circuitry. Yeah, yeah but, that's exactly right. And nanocircuitry even makes it even more vulnerable in the future. Oh, good. Y2K only everywhere, all the time, every day. <laughs> well, that's kind of the fear. At the same time, it drives new technologies for shielding and yeah. maybe rethinking what we're doing a little bit. Amen to that. We'll be right back. Our guest is Dr. Nick Begich. We'll be right back after this. Hi, I'm Dr. Martin Blank from Columbia University, and I'm the author of Overpowered, What Science Tells Us About Cell Phones and Other Wi-Fi Age Devices. And you're listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Zahara Hieronymus. And we're back. Now let's return to our program. And I really encourage you all to look at the wonderful articles on things about your health. In fact, can we just touch on one little thing, Nick, real quickly, and then I want to spend the rest of the time on the environment. I understand you're working on a documentary. The migraine headaches, how can people deal with that? You know, one of the simplest things, actually, um, and most people miss it, is hydration. <laughs> you know, one of, the, one of the big uh, contributors to headaches generally is um, uh, dehydration. And uh, uh, one of the things that, that contributes to that is um, 
uh, caffeine, coffee drinks, which a lot of people are doing all the energy drinks these days. It contributes to the problem. A really good um, uh, friend of mine, I think he's, he's deceased now, is uh, was uh, Dr. Batman Galich, who wrote on water. Really? He um, just passed away? Yeah, I understood that he had. I'm sorry to hear that. Dr. Batman Galich, he went all over the world really teaching doctors. You know, it's recently I talked to the head of... Um, Oh, what is the department called when they work on the brain? <laughs> anyway, neuroscience, I guess. I don't remember what it's called. Yeah. And I said to him that I woke up in the middle of the night about a month ago, and I heard a voice, and the voice said to me, Alzheimer's is the result of dehydration of the brain. Makes sense. And so I told him, and he just laughed. And I said, well, you can laugh, but I think that a, has a lot to do with why so many people have it. Well, and aging is a state of dehydration, if right. you really think about it, and right. about cell respiration. And so things that contribute to cell respiration are, first of all, create an anti-cancer, anti-aging kind of environment uh, generally. And you know, that's the work of um, a lot of that can be done with the work of antioxidants. And that's why those are all so important mm-hmm. for us. But, you know, and having available energy in the right form. And, and you know, and it seems to, at least in, in what I'm seeing uh, these days, what I'm, what I'm tending to put a lot more credence in is it's electrons. You know, it's about the electrons and availability of energy so that even if you have nutrients available, if you don't have available energy, then those metabolic processes can't even get kick-started to work. So there's Which a couple makes of sense things. given that you talk about the cell as being an electromagnetic container, basically. Or right, a little... exactly. And so if it can't potentialize, uh, then nothing is going to work correctly in terms of absorbing the nutrients that the body needs. And the other thing that's happened is in terms of nutrients, most of our produce, except for I think carrots are the only exception to this, but since the 50s, USDA looking at nutrient levels and American farmed produce have dropped 40% in their nutrient levels. And so what happens is the human body, you know, needs certain things, so it craves them in in the form of appetite. It just keeps eating until it gets everything it needs, you know, or else uh, it gets obese like half population mm-hmm. of the country. And today. so many of our And that's, children. I think, one of the big contributing factors. And one of the other, um, in terms of headaches, that uh, is at least a symptom that should be looked at for most people is vitamin D deficiency. Mm-hmm. Even if you live in the Sun Belt, most people are either over-screened or are still living in cubicle world most of their life, so they don't get out in the sun. And the sun, um, for depression, as an example, vitamin D levels is the biggest contributor and the most least diagnosed. Um, things are prescribed to a third of the population for depression, and vitamin D depression-related illness is probably most likely to cause. And I've even experienced that myself, and when I took vitamin D, my, my visual acuity was so intense it was blissful, and I told my homeopath about it, and he said, well, vitamin D actually has to do with the way light is absorbed in the body, and so it really is the light mechanism, and I experienced this through my eyes, and it really did affect my winter blues. But all right, so we don't have a lot of time left, and this is such an enormous topic and there's so much disinformation, misinformation deliberate and otherwise. How do you see what's going on with the global change in our climates worldwide? Well, I think most of it actually is is not man. And I I know I'm a contrarian to most of the scientific community there, but I'll I'll tell you what I think uh, one of the underlying mechanisms is, uh, actually how they kind of relate, is firstly I think a lot of the energy that's associated with what happens in the earth is driven uh, from the sun. Uh, a lot of that energy gets converted uh, in the Earth in, in different ways, and the Earth is actually a big, giant motor, a dynamo, that's turning and spinning and creating electromagnetic fields, which also create um, energy within the uh, within the Earth. 
And, and, and if you think about uh, warming, you know, they say the oceans are the big drivers for weather, and I think all of us will agree on that. <clears throat> what I don't agree with the mainstream on is the mechanism by which the oceans are heating. And to use the idea of ozone depletion and solar radiation coming down from the sun and hitting the oceans, and the oceans, they say, will absorb that radiation one degree, uh, will rise over 50 years, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, the reality is when sunlight hits the ocean, most of the energy is reflected away, and what heat is absorbed remains at the surface, at the very surface, because as soon as you put your arm length in water, the temperature gradient begins to drop in the oceans and heat rises, so all that heat stays at the surface. On the other hand, if you look at undersea volcanics in the areas of where El Nino is always associated, in that, in that area of the Pacific, there's 1,200 undersea volcanoes that have been charted. Many are discharging even as we speak, and we don't even know it. Uh, we don't know it because people can sail by an island a mile long, discovering it just appeared on the map and nobody noticed it until a ship sails by. And that happened recently, incidentally. But that energy, when it's released in the oceans, 100% of the heat is absorbed into the oceans immediately. And then it would, if you looked at it from a satellite, it would look just like a plume, just like an El Nino, uh, contrary to heat energy uh, dissipating on the surface would tend to be more evenly distributed and be gone pretty rapidly. So when, when I look at that, I go, well, maybe there's more here than meets the eye, and there's a lot of energy exchanging in the earth. Uh, most of the earth, uh, uh, three-fifths are covered by seas. Um, you know, there's a lot going on uh, under the seas that we're not observing uh, readily, and yet the heat exchange, that accounts for some of the anomalous things. Like here in Alaskan waters a number of years ago, we had a 15-degree rise in the ocean temperature. It made no sense to anyone. You know, it just was shocking to everyone. Um, but that would be the only thing that could really truly account for it. And then a major sh when you start to see that then, you get these changes in the way the currents work, which then alter the way in which weather gets distributed, so you get cold in places where it was warm and vice versa which is kind of, kind of part of what we're experiencing now as well. Well, and when I used to cover some of the Navy experiments in underground detonations, I mean undersea detonations, and I used to say, you know, you can do a nuclear, not nuclear, you can do a, de a detonation in the sea just like you're describing, man-made, and I sometimes wonder how much of what we do experimentally doesn't also upset oh, yeah. the tectonic plates and everything else that are, oh, we yeah. don't see it. Well, and this is the other half of that whole equation, because now man has these technologies. In fact, I'll read a, a quote, and it's one of the things that we've covered is, you know, now we can trigger these kinds of geophysical events. That's a whole uh, story with HARP, one of our big concerns. But it was William Cohen back in 1997 when he was Secretary of Defense, and he said in a DOD news briefing, and I quote, others are engaging even in ecotype of terrorism whereby they can alter climates and off earthquakes and volcanoes remotely through the use of electromagnetic waves. Well, and, and I remember when I used to cover all of the serious earthquakes where over 100 people died, and almost every one of them followed an underground nuclear test, and I used to predict where they would occur based on this great work by Dr. Gary Whiteford of New Brunswick, Canada, and people didn't think it was possible. Of course, now those who have followed it, you can't get that information anymore. Right. But as, as you know, we do as a humanity have the ability to create war through weather right and this is uh we've had it for a long time back to in the mid-70s you know we signed a treaty where we agreed we wouldn't use 
uh, geophysical manipulation through weather warfare or otherwise. And yet uh, Rumsfeld, when he was in, in, had some power, was arguing we had to abandon it because our technology advanced so far, and, and it has. We can actually uh, manipulate weather in such a way as to deny people rainfall, for instance, and starve them out or flood them out, you know, conversely. And the idea of doing it, you know, you think about it. If you could wage a war with with somebody that's presently your adversary or challenges your interests uh, with weather or the environment itself, or they just would a even little tsunami going on, and they'll bite you in to repair the country after. Exactly. <laughs> no, well, and and these, these are really serious things, and that's why I love what you do, and why Earth Pulse Press is so important, and people like yourself. How do you fit in with a global community of sort of technology watchers who are as concerned as we are about this kind of manipulation of the Earth for personal gain and political power? Well, you know, we, we work independently uh, these days again, and we'd worked with the Lay Institute uh, for four years, and that was a great project, and I appreciate uh, what we did together, but, but quite frankly, it was just too slow. I, mm-hmm. and, you, know, d- you know, when you work in a committee, it's always a decision-making right. process, and I appreciate all that, but, you know, I started out as an independent researcher and activist, and I, I really like that model better. Yeah, I can relate. <laughs> and, and our view was... Um, <laughs> If we could do this work uh, and the public supported us uh, by, by taking, taking our books and videos, then we could keep doing it, and we'd be beholding to the public rather than any single organization. Mm-hmm. And I like that model. Mm-hmm. It works well. Um, and, and, you know, the, the things that we see coming we think are um, pretty exciting, and uh, time is of the essence. So we've devoted the next couple of years really to looking at advancing some of the specific technologies that we think are tools for transformation, the kind of things that can empower people um, to sort of waken up, uh, waking up to those portions of the uh, mind uh, that make us maybe a little more capable of doing some of those things. One of the uh, things, you know, you right. talk about life-enhancing agriculture, and we all know that the topsoil is denuded, and you talked about the 40% depreciation in the nutrients right. in our food. I was reading this article the other day about how toxic potatoes are unless they're organic, that you should never right. eat them because they're filled with pesticides and fungicides and apples and anything, and, and that most farmers who grow them won't eat them. Right, you know, uh, and it's interesting because of the way agricultural patterns are shifting, you know, here in Alaska, we don't have uh, in our environment those natural pests that they have in other places. So our potatoes are actually used as seed stock for Taiwan and a number of other parts of the world where we export them because they don't have any pesticides or herbicides or anything, and we don't have any of that uh, up here. Um, they just figured out that we could grow apples uh, about a decade ago, and I've got now eight- or nine-year-old trees in my yard that actually produce apples, you know, which, which when I was a kid, you couldn't do that here. It's interesting. Um, you know, that's kind of amazing. Um, but, you know, that's, that's not uh, uh, just here. You know, things are moving. Uh, weather and climate change, we can fight over what the cause is, and people do that all the time. Uh, but really the fact is it's changing and it's not going to change back anytime soon. And we need to recognize that shifts all of our agricultural belts into, into chaos. And we need to recognize where those new agricultural opportunities are. And, where the well, old and don't you agree? I, I think that Africa will become the breadbasket of the planet. I really do. Well, Australia has some potential. Um, you know, uh, uh, Alaska and the northern regions, in some areas where they are warming, uh, there's going to be a big potential in terms of agricultural possibilities. That makes possibilities. sense. That makes uh, sense. We'll be in the temperate zone here. Maybe we won't get snow. <laughs> well, you know, I was showing on a map, on a globe, actually. Look at Alaska and where it sits. Right. Imagine without the Arctic ice being where it is. 
it, then it's less time to transit freight to Europe than it is to transit freight to the uh, to Seattle from Alaska. Uh, that's a big deal. Right oh. now, it's about the same distance to get something to Tokyo from Anchorage as it is to get it uh, to L.A. You're, so, you're reminding me of that it's cheaper to fly to Paris than it is to Boston from Maryland. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, here you are. You know, the world, the world, and all these changes. You know, changes the dynamic. And mm-hmm. when you start to think of shipping lanes opening up between Alaska and Europe, um, and 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 even uh, across uh, what what is Russia and uh, Canada just coming in from that direction, it just changes everything. The dynamic of all of it in terms of world trade and the dynamic of trade and where things get developed. When you look at uh, the energy uh, issues that are going to be coming, the Arctic has 25% of all the uh, remaining um, uh, hydrocarbons left uh, undiscovered in the world, they say. So there's a lot coming in in the shift of geopolitics. Technology and the ability to to do things offers us some challenges and, and maybe some great, in my view, some really great opportunities to maybe awaken uh, each of us a little closer to our higher and best potentials. And that, to me, is the challenge. Well, and, I, and I suppose, you know, from all the spiritual traditions worldwide, including the one I'm a student of, the Hasidic tradition within Judaism, is that every diminishment is for our eventual elevation. So as a human being and as human community, one really hopes that our natural spirit comes alive to these challenges. And I have so much faith in some of the younger people who have grown up listening to the, all the chaos, and they're just running so far ahead, like these little eight- and nine-year-olds who are starting these international projects Projects of human compassion and care. Right, it's right. so beautiful to watch. And, and it's amazing. And, and I think there is um, a lot to be said uh, for each and every one of those things and people recognizing that there are no limits except the ones you place in, your, uh, in front of yourself. You know, my brother Tom once was trying to describe me to someone and he, he came back and told me the story. And he goes, yeah, I was telling him, you know, you, you think out of the box. And I said, Tom, you never got the message. There is no box. Very good. We're all in the circle together. Well, I want to thank you again, Nick, for joining us and for the beautiful work you all do at Earth Pulse Press. I want to encourage my audience to go to www.earthpulse.com. You can order anything you want. Thank you for joining 21st Century Radio. And that's the show. 21st Century Radio is produced by Hieronymus and Company. Our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Cortner. Our engineer is Anita Brockington, and I'm Dr. Zohara Hieronymus.